Welcome to the Breakfast Leadership Show, where we interview global thought leaders on business, leadership, and life. Here's your host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got Tracy Hawkins on the line. Tracy, how are you doing? I'm well. How are you doing? I am awesome. Really looking forward to this conversation. So for those that aren't aware of your amazing work, why don't you share a little bit about you and we'll dive into the conversation. Sure. So I kind of started my life, my my HR life as an HR generalist manager, did that for several years and then kind of realized that recruiting was my passion and that that was really where I wanted to go. Would worked for a retained search firm for about eight years. When they got acquired, I actually started working for one of the clients that I had supported and did that up until the COVID lockdowns that caused me to get laid off. And I was in my mid-50s and had never been laid off, had never lost my job and really didn't know what to do and decided to open my own company and use the network that I had created up until that point and opened up Lead Dog Recruiting and it's going great and that's where I am today. It's great. You know, it's a good friend of mine calls this or says this phrase. I don't think it's originally his, but he says tragedy creates opportunity. And, you know, losing, losing your role, been there, done that. It's not fun. I've been on the other side too, when I've let people go and that's not any fun either, but recruiting and finding somebody to fill, you know, not just a a vacancy for a company. That's, that's more than that. It's, it's about, okay, here's somebody that has a lot of skills, gifts that will make your team better. Yep. And which then has a huge ripple effect. It, it's, it's a wonderful feeling and you get to do it over and over again. Yes, absolutely. And, and it's, it's the culture fit. I think that's, that's what, I think make somebody stay, right? You can find somebody and place somebody and a year or two later, they're going to leave. But if you can get that culture fit, that's when you kind of really hit the money. I was on an interview earlier this morning and I mentioned this story again. I should probably send my former boss royalties for, for referring to him in my show, even though, although actually he should be paying me. No, no, he, he, no, it was over a quarter, almost a quarter century ago, but it's, a case where when I was hired there and I was actually placed by a recruiter there mm-hmm. and, you know, stayed there. And that was during the dot com era when everything was going crazy and, yeah. and people were, you know, leaving jobs because they were getting, you know, 15 or $25,000 more. Yep. It was just a zoo. Uh, it was fun to be a part of it. But then in, re- but in reality, it was like, ooh, not so much fun. <laughs> but, you know, I turned down you know, higher paying roles when I was working there because of how my boss treated me and the culture and it was fun and it was just a blast to work there. And, and, and we talked about it a bit, you know, on the show this morning too, about for some people that may not have been the right fit. You know, for me, I'm like, my boss basically gave me the autonomy to, you know, do my own job as long as I get it done. He doesn't care when I come in, when I go. Where other people are like, I wouldn't thrive in that environment. I need, I need more structure. I need people to say and and check on me, you know, a couple times a day. So basically it goes back to your comment about culture and how important that is. It's, it's important for both sides to understand what they truly want, because I, I'm sure you see this, Time and time again, where a client brings you in, they say, okay, we're looking for this and this and this. And you're like, okay, well, what's your environment like? And 
they think their environment's like that. But if you talk to their people, it's not like that. I'm not saying it's bad or worse. It's, it's, it's different. So you know, how do you, how do you pull that out of clients? I mean, how do you get them to get real, really clear, so clear on, on how they, you know, operate and the type of candidate they really truly need? So sometimes you can kind of pick it up just in that intake call. So that's what recruiters call that first call with a hiring manager and just the way they talk. You, you ask enough questions that open up a dialogue where that person on the other end of the phone is talking for three, four, five minutes, you know, unscripted. And you can kind of get a feel when, when people are talking about, you know, what is important to them, what they're looking for. You can get a feel for kind of that person's personality. And in full transparency, I feel like the longer I recruit for a client, the better I get at it because I truly get a better. I have, I have one client out in California. I have recruited on and off for them since 2011. I know exactly who's going to fit into their culture because I've been, I've talked to so many different hiring managers. I've talked to so many different HR partners. And so that, and that's honestly part of the challenge, I think, for HR people, especially maybe in smaller companies like under a thousand people. When you engage with a large recruiting company, they have turnover just like you do. And so even though you might be with the same recruiting agency for five, six, seven years, you've probably had a dozen different recruiters in that time frame. And so really finding kind of that partnership with maybe a smaller agency or something like that, where that person's going to be there five, six, seven, eight years, that person's going to learn your organization. And actually, I feel like those clients that really let me in, I'm almost an internal recruiter for them because I know so well what they look for. Some clients, they don't want turnover. If somebody is changing jobs every one to two years, I don't even reach out to that candidate because I know that that is not going to fit what my hiring manager is looking for. So kind of just creating that partnership with a recruiter, not necessarily a recruiting company, truly can make the biggest difference to an HR manager because they that's an extension of your internal team when they really get to know you. And you also know the candidates that you place and their personalities and how they would fit. So you say, okay, they, they're looking for somebody. Okay, the last three people we've placed were Tom, Sally, and Mark. And those people have this type of personality, skill set, and things like that. And you look in your your database and you go, okay, who do we have? Or just top of mind sometimes. A lot of times you look in your you know your database and you go, okay, oh, I remember that person that I talked to. It's like, okay, yeah, Michael fit really good in there, but I know Mike is pretty happy over at this company. But you know, I'll reach out, you know, just have a you know, quick chat. It's like, look, I've got an opportunity. It's in an area that you said you know you'd like to be in if something came up well something came up would how how would you feel about this and and sometimes they'll go we yeah, will have a conversation or no i'm still pretty happy about that but i think that that goes you know to what you said about you know the relationship standpoint you know it goes both ways you know i back in those crazy days in it in chicago you know there was a recruiter dan that i worked with for several years mm -hmm. and you know we knew each other he knew me he knew what i was looking for and you know even you know in that last role i was talking about you know he called me a couple of times like you still liking it there i'm like i'm having a blast 
So yeah. go this this one, you know, how much are you making? I tell him. He said, Well, this one's paying it was like fifteen grand more. And I'm like, Young family? Yeah. Yeah, makes sense. But you know what? My it was one of those rare occasions in my early days that I, I actually thought about my well being. And I thought, you know what? No, I'm gonna stay here because this everything's good here. And it's and for some people that's great. Some people they're they're always looking for that next challenge and you know everybody has different flavors and things like that. But so let's let's fast forward to right now. Twenty twenty four. We're we're seeing some things, you know, it's struggling. <laughs> yeah. The you know, mainstream media, you know, is doing their best to paint a picture otherwise, but okay. I'm sorry, when when I hear and talk to people, no, it's not all rosy and happy-go-lucky. There's a lot of people having a difficult time, whether it's just, you know, the inflation costs, the cost of groceries. It's recently there was, I forget what article I saw, but someone came across a grocery store flyer from 2019, and then they had one now. Yep. And, you know, like the price of orange juice or eggs or chicken breasts were just like, completely different planet it's like it's like oh you got the hawaii ad no 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 no. this no (laughs) same location (laughs) same location like and you're thinking okay you got a family of four or more hmm how in the world are you affording to eat and and it's not like they can you know the housing costs we all all the things that are impacting people so people are stuck and they're looking okay i need to make more money and they're like well in your skill set and your jobs you're at where you're at because you're probably properly priced unless you're in a rural area or something like that. But it's not like you can say, okay, I'm, I'm a market analyst and I should be making 300,000 a year when the market's 125 or something like that. It's like, All right. well, if you want to work around the clock and take three jobs, okay, you could make that. You'll be dead in about a month, but that's okay. You know, you won't have to worry about your bills. But it's it's tough out there. So what are some things that people can do from a career standpoint or from a job search standpoint that can really help them kind of navigate through this as best they can? Yep. And I'm glad you actually brought up kind of how I feel like the media is misleading where we're at. So if I can address that real quick, because I back in like November, December, I had posted on LinkedIn because things had gotten Recruiting always slows down at the end of the year because companies have like year end budgets, things like that. And so it got slow. So I posted on LinkedIn that I was, if there was somebody unemployed and wanted me to review their resume or give them some interview tips that no strings attached, happy to do it. Give you 30, 45 minutes of my time. And I had a, a pretty, a pretty good response to that. And what really bothered me, Michael, was the number of people that were like, what am I doing wrong? It's got to be me because the economy is doing fine, according to the news. And there's these job reports and and people it was almost more depressing for them because they kind of knew what they were feeling and they knew that there were layoffs at their company and things like that. But they felt like in the broader scheme of things, if they were going by what they were seeing on the evening news that somehow they were doing something wrong. And what I would encourage anybody that feels that way is just dig a little deeper. Go, Don't just swallow what the media tells us. And that, like for me, there's there's a gentleman that I follow, Peter St. Ange. He's an economic research fellow at the Heritage Foundation. And he really kind of explains 
how this stuff happens. So like earlier this week, we had this this huge, the Bureau of Labor Statistics came out with the job reports and the U.S. gained 353,000 jobs last month, doubling what Wall Street was projecting. And unemployment was steady and earnings spiked four and a half percent, which is way better than what they were expected. But when somebody like Peter St. Ange kind of digs below the level, the way that they got the earnings to spike four and a half percent was they cut the work week back to 34.1 hours. And if you take away the COVID lockdowns, the U.S. has an average 34.1 average since like the height of the 2008 crisis. So either as an economy, we are at the 2008 crisis right now, or the BLS is just flat out lying to the American people. And then when you kind of look at that jobs number, that 353,000 jobs, it's just bogus. If you kind of, and again, I don't have the wherewithal to do the kind of research, but when you follow people that do, the census of the household survey, they actually, that census actually asked people if they are working. And based on that data, half of these BLS jobs are literally just flat out fake and that we actually lost 31,000 jobs. And then when you kind of take data on part-time work, it would actually indicate that we added zero jobs last year. So BLS is counting DoorDash and the second jobs that you just mentioned that people are having to take in order to make ends meet. And then you know, finally, like the Wall Street Journal stated that the few full-time jobs that were added last year were government jobs or social assistance jobs. So if you have zero net full-time jobs that were added, so zero net, so that means you lost some and you gained some, the half that were full-time jobs that were added we're government. So the private sector is shrinking, which is where the vast majority of us are trying to find work is the private sector. The government doesn't make anything, right? Our taxes pay those salaries that the government adds. And so it's, it is brutal out there. And that was always my first message that I was giving to these people that I was talking to is it's not you. It is, it is just brutal out there and they're not admitting it in the national media. But dig below the surface and and look for people on TikTok that actually break down the financials and things like that. And it will at least give you that knowledge that it's not just you. It is just horrible out there. So sorry, that was my little diatribe for people to understand how these numbers and reports can come out. Back to your question. When I met with these people, of course, the first thing I did was look at their resume and the whole job of a resume is really to to get you to talk to a human. It's to get your foot in the door so that you have the opportunity to talk to a human being and kind of show what you bring to the table. So you don't want anything on your resume that could shut that door, right? So what I did when I looked at resumes, first of all, I'm 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 57 years old. So I graduated college in 89 and that's when my career started. I tell people all the time, if you've got something on your resume before 2000, dated before 2000, take it off. Because there are so many 20 something and 30 something year old recruiters out there that as soon as they see that our career started before they were born, they are moving on to the next candidate. So keep your degree on there. Just take the year off that you got it. You don't need to put that. And if you have job experience prior to 2000, think about dropping it off because honestly, is what you did 24 years ago really relevant to how, even if you're doing the same job, technology has changed so much, it's probably not super relevant. And again, if you've had a career that started before 2000, the, what you've been doing in the last 10 years is so much more relevant 
you should expand that part of your resume, really detailing what you did and what you did before 2000. You can list it. If you're doing leadership like executive roles, you might need to keep it in there because you're needing to show your career path. But if you're at a director level or before or below or an individual contributor, there's no need to have something prior to 2020 on your resume. And then in the like your current job and maybe the job before or in those most current 10 years, make sure your resume doesn't read like a job description. You know, responsible for blah, blah, blah. You know, did weekly reports. If if you read your resume and essentially every single bullet on your resume underneath a job, if somebody else that held the same job could put those exact same bullets, your resume is not doing you any favors. Your goal should be that every bullet on your resume explains actions that you took or the team that you're a part of took and the result that that had on the business that you are working for. So, you know, and I, just making things up, you know, it, you know, I revamped or as, as an HR professional, redid onboarding handbook and the onboarding process, comma, resulting in 20% less turnover. So do that results part in there as well. Go back through and think of any attaboys or recognition that you got. It doesn't have to be annual awards, although if you did get an annual award, that definitely should be on your resume. But think about any recognition, any rewards, any verbal attaboys, any if you knew if you're hiring or if your manager moved you around to different sections of the company because they knew you could learn quickly, that kind of stuff needs to be on your resume because that is showcasing how you did that job better than everybody else that was doing a similar job. And so it makes you stand out when you can use numbers, do it because that's always effective. But if you can't use numbers, then just do it to the best of your ability. And it doesn't have to be 100% accurate, but you don't want to be misleading or lie. But to the best of your election, try and remember the impact that you had. Go back through your annual appraisals. If you were lucky enough to work at a company that actually did annual appraisals, read through them. And if there's little bullets on there that your manager put in there about you, about things that you achieved that year, that's the kind of stuff that needs to be in your resume because that's going to be the kind of stuff that as a recruiter, you're going to go, oh, okay, they're they're pretty good. And especially if you're sales, if you're in sales and you don't have increases in in what you did for revenue or results that hard numbers, and you should have all of that as a salesperson because that's usually stuff that you're given in weekly, monthly, quarterly kind of reviews. That's the kind of stuff that's going to make you get noticed and move you out of the black hole of corporate HR and into actually talking to a human being. You know, it's all grateful and great advice for all of those things because again, it's it's painting a picture of and I love the action result, you know, instead of just saying, I did this, I did this like right. okay, yeah, I saved an organization quarter million dollars annually on office expenses, which then allowed us to hire five new people. Yep. to create this new department for a new service to help a vulnerable community. Okay. That, that's yeah. something goes, okay. Yeah. Impactful. Very much, yep. very much. So I'm glad you mentioned the part about people feeling down mm -hmm. because they're like, I've sent out 500 resumes and nothing, or I get two interviews and you're like, you know, what's wrong? Is it my deodorant? You know, all like, <laughs> what is this? But it's just, there's so many different people yeah. applying for roles. 
Yes. You know, it's, I, I remember years ago when I was in healthcare, you know, I put out an ad for a medical receptionist. Mm-hmm. You had close to a thousand resumes come in. Now it, it's literally, you know, as a recruiter, that's not quick to go. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you can use it. I didn't have an ATS to be able to go through it. So it was, you know, the, the manual system of myself and assistant and other people and like, okay. So we you know, went through that because I want, I want to give everybody a fair shake. I didn't want to say, sorry, you know, I, I just went A through L. So if your last name started with an M to Z, we, we, we miss you. No, I didn't yeah. want to do that. It's like, right. you know, I want to, you know, do it fairly as best I can, but. You know, ultimately it boils down to you want your, your, your resume to stand out to prove to the person that's looking at it that you've got the skill set that can address the job and don't, and, and modify your resume and correct me if I'm wrong, modify your resume a bit for every application. Don't just here, you know, pull, you know, print off 40 copies and here, 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 because there could be something that you did at this organization. Let's say you were working a nonprofit and you did this, but you're applying for a corporate role. Mm-hmm. And they're like, the, unless there's something applicable that would work in the corporate setting, yeah, take that bullet point out because it, it doesn't make any sense to them. Yeah, totally um, agree. And, and I tell candidates all the time, don't be afraid to read the job description that you're applying for. And if there's especially if they're the top listed bullets underneath the requirements or what the job would do. Don't hesitate to put that and, and tweak your resume. When, when I, when I was coming out of being an HR manager and I was kind of deciding whether to do be an HR manager slash HR generalist or whether to go into recruiting, I literally had two completely separate resumes. Both were accurate. Both were honest. One completely focused on what I had done in my past that was related to being an HR manager or an HR generalist. The other was completely focused on the things that I had done in the past that were related to recruiting. Again, if you read the two, you would never think they were the same person, but it was just what I chose to focus on because we all, whenever everybody that does a job has things that they do in their job that aren't a perfect match to what the job description was, right? It's one of the things that make you a good employee. Don't be afraid to take those extracurricular things that you did in your job. And if the job you're applying for is really more about those extracurricular, you need to update that resume and make it look like those extracurriculars were the focus of your job. And don't be afraid to do that because to your point, there are so many people that are applying for jobs out there that companies are being, can be, have the the luxury of being ridiculously picky. And they can look for that purple squirrel because you're right. There's a thousand applicants. There's 10 or 20 that are right up the alley that are absolutely bullseye candidates. And the other 980 people are never going to get a call because these 10 or 20 were perfect. So again, if you go to apply and you see that there are already a hundred applicants and it's not exactly what you've been doing, I don't know if it's the best use of your time to try and and apply for that job because there are just so many people out there for every job that's open. Exactly. And another thing, too, and I know this is tough for people, especially when you're looking for a job, there's that tendency. I'm just going to throw a bunch of crap at the wall and see what sticks. Don't don't do that. It, that does not help. It's not helping you. It's not helping the recruiter. It, 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 it's using your time and resources to do that. Look, you know, look at the job and, and I do this myself, you know, when I've applied for work in the past, it's like, okay, 
if I was the hiring person for this role, would I hire me yep. based on what I have in this resume and the experiences? Yep. And it's like, and be honest, you know, don't, don't beat yourself up. Don't be upset. And it's like, oh, there, it could be, you know, five out of 10 things on that job would be ideal, but four or five, you're like, mm. that's the other thing too. Don't, if there's something in that job description that doesn't give you the warm fuzzies, I would also suggest maybe not applying for it because yep. if it's there and it's already setting you off before you even talk to anybody or even enter their workspace, it's going to set you off once you get in there. And then you're going to be calling Tracy again going, Hey, my need, uh, uh, this didn't work out. It's like, you got there this morning. It's like, what in the world happened? I said, right. they're going to be mad to have to issue a W-2 for three hours. Come on. yeah, <laughs> Just call it a wash and walk away. It's like, that's, that's just bad. Yeah. Uh, but so where do you see things over the next couple of years? My, uh, just from, you know, your, your observation and, and understanding of the market, I have my, Concerns, we'll use that phrase, but I, I think it's, I think we got a ways to go before things harmonize out to whatever they're going to be again. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I kept hoping towards the end of last year that, that with this being an election year, that both sides would try and make the average American's life a little bit better. I don't see signs of that happening yet. So I don't know. I mean, I, I don't want to get political. I think a lot of it's going to depend on what happens with the election and, and whether the average American, whether that's what's important or not. And so I don't know. I think it's all going to depend a lot on on what the focus of both parties are this election year and then who ends up winning at the end of this year. I think that's going to determine a lot about whether we just kind of stay stuck where we're at for many, many years, or whether we actually start moving in a different direction a year or two from now. Yeah, my concern is it's going to be, you know, the both political parties are going to do everything to make sure the other party doesn't win and not address any of the needs. And I think that's the sad state of affairs that we find ourselves in. And it's whoever's the president of the United States should not have as big of an impact as we have created it to be there. There's a lot more people in, in Congress laws, legislation to make things better for our citizens to improve, you know, our standing in the world, all those kind of things that that should and be the focus, but it's not, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a high school related, this group versus this group kind of fight. And it's like, it's nauseating to watch it. The campaign's been going on for years and it's, it, it's pointless. It's like, look, and I, and I tell people and they're like, I don't know who to vote for. I said, well, you know, write down the things that are important to you in life, yeah. you know, or, or for the economy or for your country or for your own personal well-being, write those things down, then do research. Like, you, you know, the source that you mentioned before, and there's others out there too. Find out, okay, what is this candidate's position on this matter or this matter? And what's the other candidates? And then look at it and, you know, decide, you know, and, and make up your choice on, you know, which, which of the two 
would you be able to tolerate? You know, because there's no perfect utopian type of leader. There's always going to be things that they do that you like, and there's going to be things they do that you don't like. But you know, we got to we got to get the TMZ out of it. You know, and unfortunately, <laughs> uh, nothing against TMZ; they right. have a purpose, but it's it's that's what it's turned into. And it's like, wait a minute, this is a leader of a country. It shouldn't be a popularity contest as far as you know, likes and thumbs up and tweets and all that stuff. And I don't care about all that. It's like, I'd love to see a president go in there. It's like, I'm I'm not going to use social media at all. We're just going to, we'll do the press conference and share and do and, and talk to the people in the press and town halls and stuff like that. But as far as social media, just step away from it. And, but we're, we're way down that rabbit hole now. So, well, I mean, honestly, even it's not even just the president. It seems like every, every political leader at every level of government what is good for you and me and what is good for the average American is way less important than the special interest groups that support them. And that's for both sides. That's for every single politician. They care more about keeping that money flowing in from special interest groups or lobbyists or whatever. And they don't they don't make decisions based on truly what is good for the American people anymore. And that's just where we're at as a society. And I don't because the people in charge are always going to be in charge. That's never going to change because they're never going to change it so that they make less power and less money. And so that I don't know where that leads us as a country, because I don't see that ever changing. Nobody ever willingly gives up power and money. And that's every single politician at every level. Yeah. And you can go way back in history to all the historical leaders that had the power. Yeah. They they didn't just say, yeah, you know, you're right. I'm just going to step away. No, no, no. Never. We, we, you know, history may not repeat itself, but it certainly rhymes. So we'll see how it all plays out. So. All right. I love this conversation. She's where can people find out more about you and this amazing work you're doing? Thank you. I appreciate the time. Thanks for listening to the breakfast leadership show. Part of the breakfast leadership network. Visit breakfastleadership.com for tips on empowering your business and your life.